With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's edition of the Terra Scottish Football Podcast coming to you on a Tuesday, not a Monday, because we had, quite frankly, an amazing feast over three days of the Scottish Cup, the world's best cup competition, that's a fact, and it was, simply put, a class weekend. To discuss the four magnificent games, I am joined by two guys called Craig. Hello to Craig Fowler. Hello. And hello to Craig Anderson. Hello. Hello. And that is definitely the first time we tried this, so it's all good. <laughs> we obviously four games to, to talk through is going to be the main thing we're going to be talking about. Uh, actually, it's the only thing we're going to be talking about. I think we'll just as well get into it because there was a lot of talking points across all four games. We're going reverse order. Last night saw Kamarnock crash out on penalties to Saint Mirren. Um, just how angry are you, Craig Anderson? Mm, less angry than I would have been if I was in the stadium, I have a feeling. Um, it's, it's two years in a row we've, we've suffered a very similar um, elimination from the competition and I have to admit to being much, much angrier last year when we, we lost to Aberdeen. Um, and yeah, very, very similar circumstances, except that we didn't actually get to the penalty shootout because we managed to concede twice in um, the last two minutes of the game rather than just once um, to, to, to um, round things off. It's a major missed opportunity. As bad as Kelly are, that that cup was was still, I felt, winnable. Um, I, I don't think we could have beaten Hibs, but maybe someone else could have beaten Hibs. And I think we 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 had the half chance. As much as we've lost every game to St Johnston this season, they've all been narrow. Craig, Craig, you definitely could have beaten Hibs because you would have had Kyle Lafferty playing against Hibs. Well, well, that's true. I'm just going on the basis that we've, we've not beaten Hibs and it, it feels like a long time at this point. But yeah, yeah. Which is exactly right. how you would get beat Hibs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that plus Kyle Lafferty equals uh, victory. 
But at the same time, this team is not good enough. You saw that. You saw the limitations of it laid bare last night. Um, Craig, do you think you would have been in the semi-final draw had you had someone in goals with functioning hands? Basically, would you have been in the semi-final if you'd picked Danny Rogers instead? Yeah, we would have been, in, and it, it came round. I mean, let me listen to the top twelve goalkeepers podcast that, that you did, and, and you know, talking about you know when Rogers came back from injury, and I had to kind of message you and Joel in the chat to say you know he's been fit for two or three weeks, he's been on the bench, and you were both flabbergasted as as I have been to be honest. That you could, under, I think, I think the reason he's picked Doyle was because he likes a big, commanding, dominant goalkeeper, which in theory is what Colin Doyle is. It's not what he actually is. Whereas Rogers despite clearly being much better, is, is maybe a wee bit um, reluctant to come for crosses and stuff like that. But being reluctant to come for crosses is better than throwing them into your own net, which is what we saw. And then, yeah, it, it was it was, uh, it was all the kind of chickens coming coming home to roost, basically, with Colin Doyle last night. I'd shared a video on, on last weekend from the Dundee, or last midweek from the Dundee United game where we were 3-0 up already but he comes and gathers a ball and stands up and immediately collides with his own player and drops it. Unfortunately, Dundee United didn't score from that, but these things have been happening all the time. It's not like an isolated incident of him, him being a bit shit. It's been his entire career in Scottish football. And, and then it kind of was capped off with, with a, a pathetic performance in the penalty shootout. I think I talked uh, with it with you, Duncan, about... Um, Stryek from... I was with Robert Bothwick about Stryek from Livingston... Um, and how a goalkeeper, you know, people saying a goalkeeper can only be a hero in a shootout. And again, Doyle was another one who proved that wrong. Literally, first four got nowhere near them. And the last one, he, he dived out the way of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, <laughs> a fair summary of come on next night. Um, Fowler, how uh, should we get, should we be giving credit to St. Mirren or are they just, you're happy, are they just the willing uh, winners of? Uh, Kamarnock chucking it. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I think St Mirren started the game the, the the better side, but then Kelly kind of really came back in. It. They scored twice before half time. We kind of much better team in the second half, and it wasn't until Jim Goodwin made a couple of changes. He, he took off um, both his forwards. I think not if it, not at the same time, then and certainly they're quite close to each other, and there was an improvement from there. Uh, but I still thought that the the better team in terms of playing football, <laughs> the better team in terms of everything else that happens on the park instead of goalkeepers. That's what I wanted. I was trying. That's a really <laughs> weird way of putting it. But basically what I'm trying to say is you can say Kelly was a better team last night, but a really kind of important part of a football team is a goalkeeper. And St Mern have a good one and Kilmarnock don't. And I do think, though, to a certain extent, that Colin Doyle... Uh, I mean, no amount of, like, <laughs> actually, no, I'm going to blame him for the second one as well. Like, obviously, the first one's just a, an absolute disaster. It is so bread and butter for a goalkeeper. And at the same time, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, the BBC commentary team uh, were making it out like it was a surprise. Uh, but I think that's just what commentary teams tend to do. Where they're just kind of overly positive towards the players. I think if you've... Watch Colin Doyle in Scottish football. You would not say that ninety nine times at hundred he would catch that cross, <laughs> unless they'd be watching him in training. But uh, certainly, in Scott, certainly when he's played in competitive games, he, he's not caught crosses like that ninety nine times out of hundred. Uh, they've not often gone in the back of the net like that, but uh, some have. Uh, that was a horrendous free kick they let David Turnbull score uh, f- 
for Motherwell uh, against Hearts uh, was obviously the one that really sticks out. The second one as well, the 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 119th minute that the penalty conceded. I mean, on the one hand, he doesn't really deserve any sort of criticism, and neither does Ross Millen uh, because it's a horrendous refereeing decision, uh, like so bad. Like even in the, I think he was wrong in the other penalty as well, Don Robertson. But that one's a bit more forgivable. It's kind of a bang bang play. It's it's easy enough to to make a mistake. I thought with the the Millen one, maybe just his angle was a poor one, but every angle that I could see. It just looks so obvious that Colin Doyle had taken the ball first. But where he does deserve some criticism is that if he gathers that ball cleanly, as he should, the referee's not given a penalty. Because he just thinks the goalie's got it. The goalie comes up with the ball in his hands. You can never give a penalty for that. You know the goalie's got there first because he's, he's got the football. And that the ball was there to be won. But it's because it bobbles up in this weird way because he can't collect it on the first goal. Then... It gives Robertson, Don Robertson, the referee, yes. a, a reason to doubt what's happened, what, yes. what he might or not have seen. And to think that something else has happened rather than what actually did. Um, so there is, he does actually deserve criticism for that. I was going to defend him a little bit. It defends a little bit in that I don't think it was necessarily the wrong thing uh, to come for the ball, uh, but because he did get there, uh, it's just that. He should have just gathered it when he did. I mean, I don't. It's it's handling one hundred and one. Like it's, it's so also bad. it's also the last minute of the game of which you are down to ten men through injury as well. Like the yeah, circumstances, I, mean, I think just Ross couldn't M- be. I think Ross Mullen also should have emptied it in the stands as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I think it is. You talked about him not gathering a ball cleanly. He never gathers a ball cleanly. It doesn't matter if it's like a trickled shot coming to him at, at ten miles an hour. He just doesn't. He doesn't gather a ball cleanly. It's not something he does, and. Yeah, it, it wasn't a penalty, um, but I think, as, as you say, Ross Millen must know that Colin Doyle's shit. So just, just get rid of the ball. Don't put any doubt in um, in anyone's mind with it. And it, yeah, Kelly had defended quite well, as you say, down to 10 men through through no fault of her own, really, um, in that respect. And it's it was a good performance. Not a good performance, but a solid performance. And, you know, a graft, no, no forward on the park. And we did well to, you know, Limit St Mirren and then it's it's so annoying to lose a goal like that. Although as you say, Craig, the, the penalty that we got wasn't one either. And we were, I suppose, the the, the shock news was beforehand uh, that Kyle Lafferty wasn't playing, and yet Kamarnock dominated m- m- much of the game without their you know the, uh, too much of a cliche to to call him talismanic. Was was but was there anyone else on the pitch uh, aside from uh, the fact that we've given? Doyle an absolute kicking. Who who impressed you last night? Because it was still uh, a relatively relatively interesting and entertaining cup tie. Um, I thought it was a return to form for Yusuf Malumbu. Actually, um, I think if he hadn't gone off, I think we would have won the game as well. Um, he obviously picked up a knock. Um, or, or, I mean, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was going off anyway, and he was just wasting time. I don't know. But um, I think he was played really well, and I thought Mitch Pinnock was excellent. Um, and down the left, um, definitely a player who didn't deserve to be on the losing side. I think generally what you saw, it's a, it's a kind of classic thing. The team's really low in confidence, and then Kyle Lafferty comes in and gives them the lift in confidence. And then even when he's not there, the other players can still, you know, carry on. None of them. There's good players in that team. There's some shit ones as well, but. There's good players there who are capable. And, and I think you saw that. I think pretty much everyone from an attacking point of view did their job. Um, the, mid, the midfield was okay. Uh, Milumbu played well. I thought Power had a, an okay game. And then it was the defence that was a problem as well, to be honest. Um, Kurt, Kurt Broadfoot had a, had a terrible game, I thought, um, even before kind of the second goal. 
So yeah, it was a it was a real mixed bag, I think. But but the attacking players can be really pleased. Um, George Oakley, the the shift he put in, he's he's not Kyle Lafferty. He's not with nowhere near as good as Kyle Lafferty. But he played the role in roughly the same way, and he, and he obviously does set up Kilty for for the goal. So it's yes, it's just disappointing all round that I think Kelly, I feel probably deserved to win, but couldn't. <laughs> Fowler, Fowler was anyone or we, we, we haven't really talked that much about St Mirren but it, kind of there by the grace of God go, go I I suppose a, a, as a performance was anyone that was a, the, the stood out for you or was it just a, basically a team that got themselves through to the semi which no, no. Still, still for them is a, an achievement to, to make two semi-finals in, in one season for admittedly that's when the, you're the fourth best team in the country that's where you should be but um, I thought there was a few decent performances Um yeah, like I said, I don't think either of the front two played well. Erwin and Dennis uh, were both pretty mince, to be honest. Jamie McGrath, I don't think, really uh, had one of his better games. Doyle Hayes was a wee bit dodgier than he's passing that you're used to seeing for him. But uh, I had to look this up because I'd already forgotten his name. But Jay Henderson, I think, uh, the 19-year-old, uh, impressed on the right wing. Uh, somebody, kind of what you like to see from a young winger when they first come into the team, somebody who looks like they're brimming with kind of confidence and enthusiasm and just want to get the ball run and, and put crosses into the box. He played well. I thought Richard, I thought both fullbacks played well, uh, despite the team shipping three goals. Marcus Fraser on the, on the left, Richard Tate on the right, both just getting forward uh, as much as possible. Tate always slinging, slinging balls in the penalty area. They played well. Um, the defence set up. Sorry, it's weird. Both fullbacks had good games. Both centre backs really didn't have good games. Uh, Joe Shaughnessy made up for it with uh, the equalising goal at the end, but he was certainly at fault for one of the goals. Probably at fault for both Conor McCarthy. Certainly at fault for the the second one where he doesn't really get out to to Kilty quickly enough. They so it wasn't like I mean I, I don't think that Kelly were the better side for me and. It's it's a little bit harsh on them, but there wasn't a, a whole lot. I don't think it was like a massive gulf between the sides. And St Mirren, I mean, they've been a decent enough side this season uh, and missed out on the on the League Cup final with probably one of their, their poorer performances in in twenty twenty one. So kind of maybe it's. I mean, Kelly have been kind of rubbish for ages, so maybe, maybe in the kind of grand scheme of things, or I don't know what Craig would disagree, but maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's good that St. Bern maybe get themselves that other chance and to show that they can kind of play better on the stage. I mean, they'll have to play better than they did at Rugby Park, but it, it gives also, you kind of, I did wonder about St. Bern after failing to make the top six, whether the season would just completely peter out. And I think they've done very well in the game recently against Ross County, where I, I thought it was an absolute stick on that, that Ross County would win. It's you know it's not long before a big game for St Mirren. Uh, they're having to go you know away for home in midweek. They don't have anything to play for. I just thought they would basically turn it up to make the numbers. They go a goal down. You're thinking, well, that's it, and then they come back. So it shows that they're still you know despite the, the disappointment of not making top six, there's still a lot of kind of fight and dig in this team. And now that they have a, a cup semi final to look forward to, you got to fancy them to to end the season and at least a competitive note. Maybe not a, a high because a high would from this stage basically be winning it and because they're in the bottom six there's not really anything they could do there that would be anything special but at least not let their campaign peter out because you always kind of worry about teams that do that I think I've brought this up a few times Park Thistle uh, are a very good example of that or of a team that kind of stopped playing before the end of the campaign and then that kind of bled into the next one and when you're a club like St Mirren 
or not even necessarily likes him, I mean, fucking hearts up to them, uh, where if you don't arrest a, a slide before the end of the campaign, then you could be in trouble going into the next season. Yeah, I think that, that th- those are fair points and they will be in the semi-final and all Saints semi-final, they will be playing St. Johnston after St. Johnston did the improbable, I think is fair to say, by defeating Rangers on Sunday evening uh, at Ibrox. Uh, one all after extra time and then uh, just a perfect set of penalties from St Johnston. Uh, Craig Fowler, how, think, how much of a how, how much of a shock was this for you? I think you might have been burying the lead there. <laughs> Xander fucking Clark, man. <laughs> I know. I thought you were going to say Chris Kane scored a goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, yeah, it's just phenomenal, really, wasn't it? The, the end of this game. It's just something where it's it's so outrageous and something so unpredictable and just one of the reasons why one of the main reasons why you love football is that when you're I'm glad I wasn't working this game because trying to put that into some sort of coherent <laughs> into some sort of sentence that does it justice. Like I don't know if there's words been invented yet that could or they probably have been invented in the past, but they've just been too overused in football. Like words like unbelievable and incredible, because that was literally, you know, a, a goalkeeper. I, I thought he'd scored. I think a lot of people thought he'd scored to start with. Uh, and even still, like the goal doesn't happen without his header. And it's, <laughs> I mean, the point's been made several times, but to, to not mark the, the six foot odd luminous green man. With shaggy, with like kind of quite high, kind of red hair, and a looking very like kind of, the kid from Jumanji, basically. yeah, and a very long beard as well. I mean, he's quite a striking-looking man in, in Scottish football, Alexander Clark, and, and not to mark him was just wild. But have, have you ever maybe, seen that video? Um, it's like the guys passing about the basketball, and they're t- asking you to count how many passes they make, and then um, there's a wolf, walks you, across and you. there's like a clown walks right through the background <laughs> of the footage while it's going on. It was exactly like that. It's like they're all so focused on like everything else happening around them. It's like they fail to notice the the big enormous giant appearing. And let's be honest, like in our, it's such a rare thing to happen in in our football. And what like every time a keeper goes up, it probably what ninety eight percent of the time ends in disappointment. Either the ball doesn't clear the first man or you know it just doesn't go anywhere near them and stuff. So to see it actually happen that the, the goalkeeper actually made a positive contribution whilst going into the for, uh, going into the penalty box uh was was absolutely amazing. And then yeah, what followed was even better. I often hate it when a goalie goes up. I often think it's so stupid because it, it pretty much it pretty much happens me. It pretty much happens all the time when it's a, a game in like the 90th odd minute and a team's a goal down. I think it's worthwhile if you have a goalkeeper that might be good in the air. Like I know that's a hard thing to judge, but coaches will, will they'll have an idea. I mean, I'm sure it, sometimes it you know. There are some it. there are some goalkeepers who are clearly f- footballers as well as goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah, if that exactly. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm not sticking Andy Gore on up front. Aye, and I think it's worth it for them if it's a guy who's particularly good gets a particularly good leap. Uh, it's you know you've seen for traded likes enjoying a muck about. He's good at heeding the ball, whatever. I think that makes sense. What annoys me a lot of the time is that they send up like a goalkeeper who's clearly like absolute garbage at football, <laughs> and because you still need to have somebody on like the halfway line and it's usually like two players on the halfway line in case the ball gets punted away and you want to stick it back in the box again you'd much rather that be the goalkeeper and have one of them in the penalty box because yeah fair enough a goalkeeper might have a better chance of winning a header than say like a five foot eight right back but if the ball drops the goalkeeper in the box 
You definitely don't want that happening. I remember it happened in a Celtic Hearts game one time. Craig Gordon went up late in the game and it dropped him at the far post and behind him was Scatchel and Pospisil, like the two best finishers at the club. If he doesn't touch it, one of them probably scores and we equalise against Celtic and that famous uh, the 3-2 game with Steve McManus scored twice. But instead, Craig Gordon tries to take a shot in the turn and puts it past the post because of course he fucking does. He was trying to do it with his right foot as well. Which uh, and But this, but fair enough, I mean, this time, I mean, Alexander Clark does kind of look like the kind of guy who... I mean, he's big and imposing, uh, and he certainly got up well. Not that he had to, really, because nobody was marking him. And it's a decent enough header. I think it might have been heading wide, or at least off the post. So while you can say that, oh, Chris Kane's foul sport put it in, I'm not entirely certain it was definitely going to be a goal without Chris Kane's intervention. Chris Kane also doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> it just hits him. Um but, but yeah, it was it was funny because I was well, I was out on Sunday, so I was watching this game on delay, and we've got a friend, um, a family friend, whose husband is a St Johnston fan, and they've just said are a wee girl. I don't know if yeah, he might actually listen to this, in which case, congratulations. But um, the she had put up a picture on Facebook, I think it was, of him, um, or, or sort of the wee girl wearing like a St Johnston thing, saying is she a lucky charm? And Lindsay showed it to me and was like, oh, that's a cute picture, and and completely spoiled the the game for me but then I'm like oh maybe she's posted this like halfway through the game so I was like I don't know for sure and then it went 1-0 and I thought all right probably Rangers have still won and then that that corner came in and I thought oh oh I saw I saw Xander Clark and I'm like oh this could be interesting um and and it was interesting but thoroughly deserved for St Johnston I thought um I I, I um, annoyed Tony Anderson with this on the chat but I think currently St Johnston are the third best team in the country I think they are a fantastic football team um, at the moment, and I would put them as favourites to win the cup. I think that I, as uh, a Hibs fan, I, I absolutely concur. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think the the way that they are set up, the way that the Davidson's got them playing at the moment, and um, they've just got they've got so many dangerous players, and you and you've got every single player in that team knows exactly what they're doing, even when they don't necessarily have the best individual game. And I think you could point a couple of them, Stevie May for one, um, when they don't do what they're there to do necessarily, they still do the bit for the team. He's still grafted away, you know, every time he got on the ball, it seemed to go wrong for him, but um, it still worked out. Melamed likewise. And you've got guys like Rooney and you see that they desire a Rooney 120th minute to get down there and win that corner um, and stuff like that. It's just, I I am... If the season started in about November, I think St. Johnson would have finished third. Um, I think the way that, that Davidson's got them going at the moment, and I think he is not going to be the St. Johnson manager for very long because I think he's very impressive as a as a coach and a person. And I think they will struggle to keep him even with his connections there. And so I thought on the balance of it, to be honest, it's the best, the best I've seen anyone play against Rangers in a long time. And, and I think they thoroughly deserved it. Much more so like St. Mirren when they beat Rangers in the League Cup. They, they played well, but it was they probably they probably rode the luck a wee bit. I don't think St Johnson really did ride the luck. They had to, it was a good goalkeeping performance from from Clark certainly, but not like it wasn't like you know Andy Gorham against Celtic in the mid nineties. Twice he's been mentioned in this podcast. Um, Andy Gorham revival. It was just a good um, a good performance from him, and and yeah. So I, I thought they I thought they deserved massive amounts of credit. I thought they were they were really good. I think that I think what you're saying about Davidson. Is right. I think there's been a progression throughout the season with this team, and he's he is getting his players to do the things that he wants them to, and that they're clear clearly know how to ex- execute what they're doing. And the fact of the matter is, they 
they took the game to Rangers on on Sunday. They, they didn't. They didn't. Um, you know, sit, sit back and wait for it. The, the way that they set up, you know, the the, the three good into five at, at the back when when needs to be and stuff like that. And then you just have that perfect balance between between the midfield three of, of Wotherspoon, Craig, and and McCann. Um, and then you do you just have absolute grafters that want to come off the bench and uh, and and do the work, which is remarkable. The, 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 it seems to be quite an uh, an egoless team. Which is, you know, I suppose it's kind of a reflection of the manager as well. I was, I was had to be hugely impressed with, with St. Johnson. Their, their defensive setup was pretty much perfect, and the game, the game plan was just right down to a tee. It was excellent. Players deserve credit because it was executed very well, and without the the industry and just the, the incredible work ethic of guys like Ali McCann and Stevie May, Stevie May, like at one point. Like was at his own, you know, goal line basically, his own touch line, uh, putting the ball out for a corner, had he having chased down Joe Rebo. Like he'd, he'd done that quite a few times where he was like racing back and was almost part of the defensive line. There was so much work put into it, but the game plan itself was perfect. Every time, so there are the two guys up front, so there were tracking runners going forward, but they were also putting, managed to seem to be in two places at once quite a lot. They were putting pressure on the on the range of centre backs and more key Stephen Davis so he didn't have his usual influence in the game then when Rangers would try and get through that press by going to the, the fullbacks as they like to do they obviously use their fullbacks a lot they're, they're two I think maybe first and second in terms of crosses in the league this season uh, every time they got the ball they were having to kind of knock it back because they would have either Scott Tanzer or Sean Rooney on the other side right up them like as soon as they touched it and then when Rangers try to play through, they, they would find a way of dealing with that as well because you'd get those areas where Ryan Kent and Yanis Hadji like to operate in between midfield and defence of the opposition. Anytime that happened, Liam Craig was already kind of that area anyway. You would have typically McCann running back to help. And the centre-halves were, were quite aggressive in pushing up because there was three of them, so they had to do that. Like one of the, like if one of them pushed up to help close that space, you still had two looking after Morelos. And, and whoever the other Rangers attacker was. So they just kind of suffocated any time a, a Rangers striker got the ball in that area. And it was just, I mean, if you're putting down a, a blueprint for how to beat Rangers, I think that's that's one to go forward. Now, the use not, of the ball, though, as well, Craig, when they when they got the ball back, it wasn't just like it's hump this clear. Yeah. They, they tried to play out every time. And also, like, I mean, you do have to say that probably shouldn't get ahead of ourselves and say, okay, this is the way to beat Rangers because there's, there's things that Rangers should have done differently. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that the, now. It didn't feel like there was the same intensity as the, as has been. I mean, I don't think they were terrible. I just don't think they were quite as relentless as they have been. Well, the way to get around what I'm kind of saying is that you get Tanzer and... Sorry, you get Barisic and Tavernier. Tavernier especially. You get them doing give and goes so he can get in behind the wing back. And that was the space to attack because if the wing backs are pushing up, that means that you can get in behind them. You either get space down the, the flank to get across or you can draw a defender out of space. And then that kind of can maybe create a kind of house of cards scenario where the whole kind of defensive structure comes tumbling down. They didn't do that. Uh, they also didn't really... Ryan Kent did it once or twice. But then another thing they could have done was just have a kind of somebody acting as an out-and-out winger to attack that space as well. But Kent likes to operate inside. Yanis Hadji, he's always going to float around the kind of number 10 area. He's not going to really attack the wing too much. I think it may have been, may have been a bit of a better choice to have Joe Rebo 
in, in that situation or just have an actual winger at the club who's any good instead I, I of thought, I thought not no, he wasn't playing as a winger when Scott Wright came on he, he, he gave them something a wee bit different yeah. I, I think um, he looked more dangerous than, than any of the rest of them to be honest in that period I think it was a mistake to take uh, take Morelos off as well um, I think he had played pretty well yeah and Kmar Roof's not in good form at the moment as well as witnessed by his penalty yeah in, in the shootout um, do we have does anything we want more want to say on that uh, fixture yeah, we could talk a little bit about the kind of criticism that Gerard received for this. It seems to be a kind of lot of people are kind of talking about this, like oh, all of a sudden Gerard's got. I mean, he kind of almost said it himself, but that Gerard's got a problem in cup competitions. Like, I don't think you can say that when for three years in a row he's made it to the the group stages of the Europa League. Two of those years where they had to win four ties in order to get there. I think he, they failed before in Scottish football, but I think. It's just a case of Rangers weren't that good then. They were they were better than the rest under Gerrard, but they weren't good enough to be champions. Uh, even in seasons where Celtic might have been a little bit weaker, I still think, don't think they were necessarily good enough to be champions. This team have been, they've had a couple of very poor games. I think this one, it, it's possibly to do with the fact that the league's wrapped up already and that they have let standards slip a little and it's hard to turn that switch on and off. I think and, they've been they've been poor throughout 2021. To be honest, yeah. I don't think they've they've really you know they they probably had the same kind of hangover that they had last season, but just nobody else was able to take advantage of it. This you know the last two years they've come back in the second half of the season. A lot of it's to do with the intensity, as you say, Duncan. They play with high intensity, and that does tire players out over the season. You've seen that with they, they always talk about it with Bielsa's teams um, and and a guy that you know not that Gerrard's teams or anything like that. But you know what I mean? It's the same energy and stuff. Certainly happened uh, a few times at Spurs with Pochettino. Yeah, and you just get in, and so it's kind of like it's a gamble. Do you, are you building up enough kind of ahead of steam at the start of the season that you can kind of run on empty for the last few weeks? They they ultimately timed it right, and of course, had this um, had this been a normal season, you'd been talking about the cup semi final right about now, and and maybe in fact the, the cup final was meant to be next weekend actually. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's different because there obviously doesn't matter how tired you are, you're going to be up for a cup final unless you're Walter Smith's team from 2008 who had played about a billion games, which which they haven't. Um, so so maybe maybe there is an, an element to which you can say, well, that that's it's a strategy that they've had that's maybe backfired for a number of reasons. But I think I think some of the criticism valid in the sense that their record in the cups is not good enough, and it's not like they've always gone out. They've not they've always gone out against Celtic, is it? They have lost to um, the last three. It's been Hearts, St Mirren and, and St Johnston. Um, that's... So not, uh, oh yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking that through in my head before I was talking and I actually planned that point and then I was like, uh, I've, not, I've not made a mistake anyway, have I? But, um, and none, I mean, the, the Hearts team that beat them was a mess and barely won another game. The St. John- the St. Mirren team that beat them weren't in great form at the time. And then, um, yeah, St. Johnson are, are playing well and are a good team. And, and that was that was the first time I've seen a team in a long time. And that includes Celtic take the game to um, to Rangers to that extent domestically. Yeah, actually, I felt that, um, strangely, that, that St. Johnson were more impressive than, than Slavia Prague, who knocked Rangers out over those two legs. I, 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 that was my impression in terms of it, it might have something to do with the mindset of a club and that everybody... I mean, Europe's different, so there's there's probably more pressure on Europe. Um, but it might be to do with the fact that 55 became this all-encompassing 
thing that they need to do, or basically, well, not actually, 55 was less important than 10. Stop the 10. Stop that happening. And that's been like that the last three seasons. But it's been like that ever since Rangers came back, really, to, to the top flight. And I wonder whether just that kind of... It doesn't have to be like... A, it's, it's not a conscious thing amongst the players, but it's just that thing that gets into your... Just gets in your subconscious of... If you're, if you're caring so much about the, the league title and you get over yeah. the line and you get the league title, then... Are you are you not focused, or even before you get the league title done, are you not focusing as much on these other games because there's just only so much kind of mental like strength you can put into things? But I don't know because well, at the same time, the, the way they've dominated in the league this season, like they should be th- dominating th- in the cups as well because Celtic have done it. I think it's a fair point. I think that I think that there there was probably a, there has been a conditioning at the club and at Celtic. I think this season that it's to be all about the league and what happens when that is resolved. In both cases, is that you you fade away because you've 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 reached the summit and then you realise it's all downhill from there. Whereas obviously the the idea is that you keep seeing summit, you get to the summit and then you've got another one ahead that you've got to build up towards again. I think the um, most surprising thing about this one, and this is why I have this movie different from the rest, is that they did learn to win. They didn't learn to win before. And now they've learned to win. They've got a league title. So I think we expected I think everybody expected Rangers to do the double, having got the league title. I mean, there's so many things that were stacked in their favour in terms of how you would think about this game. In terms, of, they knocked Celtic out the last round. It's a home tie. Uh, you literally, it, and they drew with them, but they've literally played St Johnston and, and been given a fright. To be honest, in a very similar St Johnston performance, literally a few days before the game. So you'd think what, what you talked about, Craig, in terms of things that the Rangers could have done better. Well, you'd have thought they would have thought of that because they, they had the exact same problems against St Johnston three days previously or whatever yeah, it was. It, it seemed that Gerard just thought everyone would be fine because he was playing with a full-strength team on this occasion. But but tactically, it was you know it was it was more or less the same game. And St Johnston, if anything, could have won that game in, in, in Perth in the league and then um, and, and, and scored in the last minute in that one. And, and so I think I, it's obviously a successful season for Rangers, but and, and I know the vote won't won't be held, but will be held before that. But if, if Callum Davidson takes St Johnson's a cup, Gerald's no longer the manager of the season, is he? Is he even the manager of the season now? And and that's kind of unthinkable given given what had gone before. I think he, he is at the moment given the context of the season. But if St Johnson I think again, yeah, it's the last the, the, last sixty of the Europa League as well. We often yeah. kind of forget about it, but I think it that must come into it as well. But like Alan Davidson might have taken St Johnson to the last 16 and they qualified it. Like it wasn't his fault, that was Tommy Wright's fault. No, 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 he would have been knocked out. Because remember, they were pushing August, so they would have been knocked out. <laughs> we'll go on to the third game. And if you were to say of the eight teams in the, the quarterfinal who would stroll to victory, I am absolutely certain that Dundee United were probably sitting about seventh or eighth in that order. But they absolutely pummeled Aberdeen uh, away from home on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Dundee United fans gave the, the I'm not sure if you saw this they gave the team bus uh, a tifo, uh, smoke bombs and stuff like that as they departed from uh, from Tandice Street, which I thought was was quite nice and was definitely the sort of thing that would in the past have come back to bite Dundee United on the arse. But it didn't this time. Uh, they won three 0 again. Uh, McNulty with two goals and uh, an Edward. Uh, Goal sandwich in between. Craig Anderson, did you see that coming? 
No, I didn't see it coming in the sense that I didn't see Dundee United having three goals in them, but I feel, I think I did expect Aberdeen to lose because um, I was really unimpressed with them against Livingston um, last weekend. I think they were very lucky to get through that game. Um, just one bad decision from from Nicky Devlin away from being 2-0 down and, and, and out in that game. I have severe doubts about Stephen Glass um, immediately, to be honest, uh, just, just everything about him. And... Dundee United, <laughs> just everything about him. Everything about him. No, he, even though, yeah, he doesn't look like a manager, um, which is <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. Um, a, that is a very your dad opinion. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> but the Dundee United, what they are good at for all their faults is taking advantage of weaknesses. If teams have weaknesses, they know how to exploit them. And by by God, did they exploit them? Um, Mark Mark McNulty, a player who I have criticised quite a lot on here, I thought he was fantastic. He, he had such a great game, uh, strong and commanding physically as well, and then and then two excellent finishes for his goals. Um, and, and and generally, that's the first time that front three I've seen. I mean, you, you've probably seen them more than I have, Craig. But the that's the first time I've seen that front three of uh, McNulty, Shankland, and Clark actually work. And, and all three of them were, were excellent. Uh, Ian Harks had a, had a really strong game in the middle of the park. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could go through their team, to be honest, and and, um, and they, they were just man for man better than Aberdeen across the pitch. The Aberdeen defensive performance was abysmal. Um, I, I, just before the game, I was out, I was out of walk and I was listening to the Best Centre-Backs podcast where, um, where Craig and Joe were kind of talking about them and, and Craig had kind of made the point, I think, about Tommy Holborn and how he'd regressed over the season. You saw that. And then Considine, I think, has had a really poor season in general. Um, I would be now, now surely I would can't imagine him going to the Euros, even with the squad being expanded. It's like, surely not. Like, a guy that's getting absolutely torn to shreds by that Dundee United front three surely can't be, you know, a couple of injuries away from facing England at the European Championships. I have three words for you guys. Ash motherfucking Taylor <laughs> no but a wee bit of sympathy with Constantine uh, not Hoban because he gets absolutely roasted for the third goal and it's a really poor uh, defensive play from him he seems to I don't know why he seems to get spooked and then overcommits to McNulty dropping deep to to do the kind of give and go with Harks and I don't know why because it's the dangers obviously much more in behind like just let him let them drop off. Let them take that touch. What's the, what's the worst that's going to happen for there? The worst that's going to happen is that you run to him. He runs in the other direction and he's quicker than you and he's away and it's, it's a goal and you've you've fucked it. But I have a little bit of sympathy with kind of Considine because I think he was often exposed on that side. I think you said, Craig, that the, the front three of Dundee United is that the, the best they've played together. Undoubtedly so. I don't think it's worked at all before then. And I think it worked on this occasion because it really exploited the what Aberdeen were, were given, Dundee United, which was on the left-hand side of... So the play were back four. On the left-hand side of defence was Johnny Hayes. Now, Johnny Hayes has been at left-back before and, and done a decent job. He done it for Celtic a number of times. He used to do it for Aberdeen uh, in, the, in his first spell. He's done it this season. He's somebody who can defend there, but because in front of him was Florian Camberry. He was to provide the width on that side. So that means that he has to kind of be a bit more attacking than your average fullback. And with McNulty coming in off that side, McNulty never... This is quite impressive for Dundee United in that they have been... And this maybe shows that Mickey Mellon has taken the handbrake off a little. And that even though sometimes they've played with the front three this season in three strikers, they've not been a team that's attacking. 
uh, because two of those strikers have just kind of tracked back and Shanklin's been alone with nobody within, you know, about 50 yards of him. But on this occasion, th- those three guys just basically stayed up the park and they took their chances of Hayes and he's getting down the left and, and Kennedy as a, a winger getting down the right that they, they could they could deal with that and, and they did. And because of that, it meant that was Hayes kind of out of position an awful lot. And McNulty had that room uh, down, the, the, down the side of Considine to make things happen. You saw that with the first goal. You saw that again with the, the ball that he played across where Harks was close to getting it at the back post. He maybe should have, in, in hindsight, we should have went himself. But numerous times, even the... Uh, Jando Fuchs chance that he had he, he kind of exploits that space as well and every single time you've got a, a back four there that doesn't have a left back and, and certainly not a left back that's tucking in and, and trying to to help protect the centre halves and that was just the kind of root cause of Aberdeen getting murdered in defence time and again Yeah it's looking like a, a, a tough one for Aberdeen it's, I think there's a, a huge well, I think we've, it's been acknowledged as a huge rebuilding job going there. I just there's almost a question: of where do you start? Because uh, you start with Scott Brown, and you get a lot worse immediately. The, the thing, the thing is, for me with that Aberdeen team is Glass can come in and talk about principles and the way he wants to play, but you've not got your squad yet. So why are you trying it? Why are you trying to get guys to play a style of football that is they're not capable of? Wait, wait it out. Play. Especially when you've got so many players that are on expiring deals and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Like it's as much as Derek McInnes, as much as Andy Badley, the way he had Aberdeen playing was on the whole fairly successful. They they did win a lot of games. They did tend to beat teams like Dundee United, uh, not this season, of course, but but in general, um, grind it out, get them through to the end of the season, and then you know you're you're probably signing eight or nine new players to add to this team anyway with it from there I also thought it was, it, the there was probably the the thing that stood out to me was Ramsey playing right back not that I thought he had an, an awful game or anything like that like as a young player coming into the team the decision to loan out Shea Logan um, seems very strange in that respect of like as much as he's probably not been great for a couple of years he would have given a lot more to the team than he did. The deal didn't seem to make sense from a Hearts point of view either, apart from maybe they, they hope they can sign him for next season and so they're just trying to, you know, get him on board because obviously Hearts didn't, didn't need him. Um, it's actually worked out surprisingly well for Hearts' point of view. <laughs> it's, allowed us to, it's allowed us to play well back three and he's actually played quite well. It, it wasn't I didn't think he would play well. It's like, well, Hearts could have signed me to play right back and still have won the league. Like it didn't, <laughs> it didn't um, and, and that was with me actively trying to, to score for every every championship team apart from United. Um, but the um, the point, I, I think, is that you're making these decisions and they're backfiring on you straight away. It's a terrible way to start your career. That's three games and three games and no wins, and, unless you count the, the penalties, obviously. It would be very easy for him to end up not winning a game until the end of the season, and then he's on he's under pressure straight away, and and it feels an, an unnecessary gamble to take in terms of how you set up your team and stuff like that. It, it just nothing worked out for him at all. And I, yeah, as I say, I, I thought it was inevitable. Whoever they brought in, they were going to get get worse in terms of performances, but maybe sorry, worse in terms of um, results and stuff like that than McInnes because. It's, it's unsustainable, to be honest, what, what they were doing. But I thought they would 
be at least entertaining to watch. And they were entertaining to watch for me, but I don't think for the, their own supporters on Sunday. So I think... Um, and then a big summer ahead, we'll put it that way. Yeah, and then with what happened in the game later on that day, you know, Aberdeen still have a decent pedigree, you know, in terms of you know that, but they still haven't, they have still haven't what they've won one trophy, you know. This is this is the point is that you know, for all this, they've, they've won one, one trophy this this century. Um, I mean, and, and they keep seeing they keep squandering opportunities to do well. You could drill off the number of teams who've won. The same number of trophies as them in that era where Aberdeen have where they were the second best team in the country for a long time, and yet there's a bunch of teams of of won exactly as many trophies as them, um, and and that can't be a good sign. Yeah, they only have I, a fallow period, and if they don't pick up cups during that, it's like it's it's a lot of it's a lot of time not to be winning trophies for Aberdeen. Yeah, and and really not a lot to show from it as well I mean that's they didn't they I mean admittedly it has been it's been harder and harder for Scottish clubs in in Europe and uh, and to be fair McInnes did pull off some good results uh, at least at least Derek McInnes continually got them to Hamden yeah but, that, but, that, but that's the issue but you know that the, they're not unlike other clubs that have had slightly Purple patches or whatever, you know, that that's led to something like you. Know, I'm I'm thinking Hibs, you know, is that you know, they had that rich generation of players, but what they got out of it was the ability to you know buy a training ground and you know finish finish the stands and stuff like that. Aberdeen are, are exactly the same point, really. Where not exactly the same point, they're, they're better for it. But you know, aside from the Derek McInnes era, could potentially look quite squandered. Like you, know, you came second in a league that had just Celtic in it. And you didn't really ever really test them that much, and you picked up one trophy really early on in your career, and then you know the likes of Inverness and Ross County and Hibs. Hibs won the Scottish Cup in that time, like you know, like. Uh, I would point out they, they did get a training ground out of it, just just one name named after the egomaniac of a chairman. <laughs> <laughs> So Dundee United will uh, will will face Hibernian uh, in the other semi final. Uh, that's going to be the Saturday kickoff in uh, in in that that's going to be the Premier Sports game. They defeated Motherwell on penalties. Uh, so the third of the four games that went to penalties on Saturday evening. Uh, a very strange game, I think, is is is, is a way to look at it. Um, Craig Fowler, what what were your impressions? Uh, before I get to that, I'm going to just say right away while it's in my head that this would be, Hibs winning the Cup this year would be much worse than, than 2016. And the reason for that... Is you because, lost the Brewer on the way? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, losing uh, Hibs is much worse than, than uh, getting knocked out by some pish. No, it's because, can you imagine the content that will come out of Hibs' Twitter feed now that they've got the new the marketing team in charge of the Twitter feed if Hibs win the Cup? I mean, if you thought Hibs kicked the arse at the 2016 Scottish Cup win, I can, I cannot imagine the commemorative tap that we will be punting until Kingdom Come. Like, it's in like, Ingie Market will have nothing on it. And the horrendously out of place gifts, like, just, oh, just... Craig, let's un- not, can we, can we get, can we talk about happy stuff? Please? It'll just be unbearable. I just can't, I'm already imagining it. I'm already, 
just annoyed. <laughs> can't eat, I can't eat. I just also as well the week after the cup final, I'm going to a stag dude that's going to have loads of fucking hips fans in it as well. So that's uh, that's that's not good either. Uh, that's that's another possibility for things to go spectacularly wrong. Anyway, the game. Uh, I think it's it's fair to say that Motherwell Motherwell uh, have a little bit of sympathy with them, and that without Jordan Roberts, uh, Tony Watt was only fit enough to come off the bench. In fact, to the day before the game, Graham Alexander said that he wasn't going to play, so that was even a bonus he was going to be there. So there's two of their starting forwards out. And so he obviously thought, right, I'm going to be without these guys. So against Hamilton, they tried a 3-5-2 three, five, three, five, system. They got a win. To say it worked, maybe a bit of a stretch, because they weren't very good against Hamilton, even despite winning the match. But they'll, but they'll take a win over Hamilton, given, <laughs> given oh, yeah, how well, bad Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's, that's true, I, mean, I suppose. The, the, yeah, maybe, maybe it's a great performance. The means, the means, the means justified the end, or whatever. But he, I think he had trialled that with the Hibs game in mind, uh, and he used it against Hibs, basically matching up man for man, and it didn't work at all. Hibs were easily the better team for... 70 18, minutes what, 81 yeah, probably, minutes. 80, probably 81 minutes as well even after they, they changed formation uh, but they were starting to come into a little bit before the second goal uh, and did look like there could possibly be a threat to equalise before Devante Cole's chance which is like around about 60 minutes they really looked like they were going to do nothing in the game Hibs were just so in control probably should have been up by more than a goal Dodge missed a great chance after opening the scoring but also in the first half Hibs didn't really have a, a clear-cut chance in the first half, but I thought they wasted a lot of very good opportunities. Martin Boyle was having a field day down the right-hand side, just torturing Nathan McGinley. Uh, to be fair to Motherwell, without changing the system, they managed to tweak it a little bit at, at half-time to keep Boyle a little bit more quiet. But even then, the goal, the opening goal comes from Paul McGinley getting too much space to, to whip in a good cross. So even with, with Boyle maybe getting more attention on him, that, that freed up McGinley to get forward for right centre-back. So, yeah, I, I wonder... In hindsight, whether Graham Alexander might think I should have just started in the 4-3-3. It caused Hibs so much problems the last time. It caused Hibs a lot of problems this time once Tony Watt came on and they switched to the system. I thought Motherwell, from Motherwell's first goal until the end of the game, Motherwell were the better side. Hibs had a, a flurry in the, the second half of extra time. I think they probably shaded that. But over over the piece, uh, I thought from, from Lamy scoring that, I think we must say a jammy uh, goal. I thought he scored the, a pass. He scored yeah, a pass. He scored a pass. Uh, I thought for them forward, uh, Mother was a better team. And whether Alexander might have just been better, maybe trying, I mean, you've got the extra subs, just maybe trying an extra forward by committee. Starting with uh, Lawless is similar. He's not got a lot of fitness. Maybe starting Lawless as one of the other forwards. Maybe swapping him with Walt after an hour. Maybe give a Jake Hasty run out. Maybe just use three guys. But just have the system that prior at Easter Road worked very well and you've been using a lot this year and has been working well. Because had Motherwell started the game, had Tony Watt been fit enough to start the game on the evidence of what happened after he came on, I think it's fair to say that we might not be necessarily talking about him being in a semi-final. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair um, a fair comment. Used to be like there was a, a line about there's never a team. I think it was about Verona. There's, a, there's never a team more terrified than Verona defending a one goal lead, and I'm updating that now to there's never a team more terrified than Hibs defending a two goal lead. 
because it's just a, a, like it, it's it just hits that sweet point of oh yeah this is a huge we should win this right we yeah this, we have this huge advantage oh no right we're we're, we're it is mental how often you just make it unnecessarily hard on yourselves yeah I, I, but I was sitting here in this podcast it must have been over a year ago talking about the fact that under Jack Ross like Hibs constantly seem to shit themselves when they go two 0 up. Um, I think they obviously they, they, they kind of started off one of these earliest games in his 2-2 draw with Kelly where the Hibs played us off the park and then we scored twice in the last 10 minutes. It was very similar to this game and he's had an, another bunch of games where he's either done it or came very close to doing it and I don't know what it is about the way that, that Ross sets up his teams or whatever it is but for everything else that they, they do so well it's like as soon as as soon as soon that second goal went in it was like they never had a kick of the ball because yeah. I thought yeah, Motherwell were insipid. Like it was such a you know quarter final of the cup to go and play like that. It's just you know, yeah, Hibs are better than you. But it, it, had they gone out of the cup, other than the way they did, like you would have been raging as a Motherwell fan. Um, and then they, they come back into it. But yeah, Hibs, you you look at them, you think it's such a composed performance. You can see where that team is going. You can see that you know there's positions that, that can definitely be upgraded for Hibs, but fundamentally like they've built a really strong team and a team that I think has the capability to kind of be you know the third force long term you know taking over what Aberdeen have been doing because you look at the, the players they've got and the way that, that they're making astute signings and okay yeah you've got the, the odd Dre Wright signing in amongst that who um, I'm sure will be at Rugby Park if Kelly stay up but um, just, just feels inevitable but the the type of um, the type of business they've been doing has been very good Ross knows what he's building he's building a team that can play with a back three and a back four he's got players who are really adaptable for doing things like that and so you can go right this guy knows what he's doing so why does it why has he been in charge for what two years or nearly two years or 18 months or whatever it is and still as soon as they go 2-0 up it's like it's like they, they play like a different team there is a there is a there's something strange about his, his game management you know it, that even before Hibs got the second the, the team was tiring a little and yet still he went another uh, you know 15 minutes almost uh, at least before uh, 20 minutes at least you know before making a substitute um which you know given that motherwell were coming off eight days rest and hibs had, uh, hibs had played the previous sunday okay albeit against Renard, but there's still travel involved and and and, and what what like like it just it did seem uh you know, quite an unnecessary way of 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 um, burdening the team that, w- that you could have just shut up shop, but that just seems to be not within his gift. I don't know at the moment. It's it's I am simultaneously uh, loving and hating this <laughs> hating this team at the moment because there is a lot to like about it, but then there's also, as you said, Jay Wright, Melko Halberg, etc., that come on and. You know, it's not their fault they're getting picked, but they're, they're being asked to do jobs that's, that's not they're not capable of. He's not a manager that seems to change games to his favour when he makes subs. I think that would be fair, and maybe that's a lack of squad depth, as you say, because you're you're having to rely on those kind of guys. But yeah, it's just you think you can come back to the cup cup semi final when he inexplicably put uh, Sean Mackey onto the pitch, just stuff like that. It's like where is this coming from? Like, why are you doing these types of things? And it, it nearly spoiled what, what I think if if as I say if it finishes two 0 to Hibs, it's a really comprehensive controlled performance and and that's what the story should have been and then said there's like more doubts kind of come creep in um, on the mother will say that I, I forgot to mention it I thought um, particularly in extra time it was a, it was an absolutely fantastic performance from Stephen O'Donnell um, in that right hand side he just 
it's not there's not many players that, that give Doig the kind of you know tough time that he had to the point that, that obviously Stevenson came on in that game. Um he that I, I mean I've watched him long enough to know he's capable of that, but he's not done it very much for Motherwell. But but you can see I think they should be very pleased to get him for another two years. Um because I think he he'll go on to to do the business for them. And I think, especially being coached by Alexander himself, another, he's been coached by two right-backs. He's been very lucky in that respect. Um, I, I think you saw what he can offer, Tony Watt likewise. Muller will have the makings potentially of a strong team for going forward as well. And I think Alexander, despite you know being critical of how, he, how they played um, in the first eight of this game, I think he knows what he's doing. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be a great manager, but I think he's going to be a steady manager, which is probably fine. I think recruitment's just going to be the it will be the making of Motherwell next season. Uh, there was also the point I was going to make about Hibs, just come back to them uh, briefly, is that in a very odd position of finishing third, uh, potentially you know one of the be- your best finished since two thousand and five, uh, and yet it's still feeling like a disappointing season because of what has been what, what opportunities have been there. I mean, I don't, I, I generally do think St Johnson are favourites for the cup, um, but. Hibs are not that far behind them, and Hibs could have won three cups this season quite, quite uh, feasibly. Um, you know, and strangely enough, because they should have beaten Hearts, and, and you, you saw Celtic were there for the taking on final day, and and they should have they should have beaten um, at the time. That was kind of when St Johnson just kind of came into their own. But Hibs are big favourites in that semi final as well, and, and we definitely have beat Levy in the final. Um, we, we know that from past experience, don't we, Duncan? Um, and then. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could feasibly have won three three cups in in the space of you know six months, and and instead it does, as you say, it does feel like the success of a season hangs on them winning the Scottish Cup, which which is shouldn't mental. be the case because it's been a, it's been a great season. We just talk about Ryan Porteous. You know my feelings on Ryan Porteous. He's he's absolutely fantastic and has got balls of steel. It's it's not it's not me that you have to convince. Probably. Duncan, some of us can spot a player, and some of us are good with pop culture references. <laughs> yeah, as if Craig Telfer is listening to this podcast right now. I was also digging out Sean as well, to oh, be yeah. fair. Mainly Sean. <laughs> I, th- I think I've, I think he, he kind of, um, I've talked before about him being like um, Pepe and Sergio Ramos and that being the type of centre-back he modelled his game on. And, and again, both of them very good at penalties as well. So um, he, he's... Yeah, that's the thing. He's not. He's, he's he does have flaws in his game, but that's why he's at, that's why he's at hips. Like you know, like that's like if he was if he if he eliminated those mistakes, then he would, you know, without hyperbole, be playing at a very very high level. If he didn't, if he didn't make, if he was a with everything else he has to his game, if he was a centre half who was very reliable and didn't make any mistakes over the course of a season or, or barely any. Like the brain farts I mean, more than anything. Yeah. He would be worth about fucking six million pounds. Like at least. I'd, I'd, I'd put another zero on the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that that challenge you made on Chris Long, where it just looked, especially the way the game was going as well. Like you just, you just thought Long's going to take a touch here and he's going to bury this, and this is this is going to be Hibbs capitulation complete. But it just. I mean, I was at the game and he just seemed to appear for nowhere. Uh, it's just a, a phenomenal tackle. There was a definite hesitation from Long. I think it's something he's guilty of quite a lot. He, he wants a lot of time when he has these chances, and, and yeah, but it's it's a it's a phenomenal um, bit of defending. And I think I think as you say, he's um, 
he's a big game player as well, Portis. You know, he, he does show up. He does show up on the occasion. The attitude is fantastic. I think you heard that in the the, the podcast that, that um, he did with us, obviously, that um, he's not your kind of typical footballer in terms of how he thinks about anything. And, you know, he, he definitely is kind of willing to be his own man and all that stuff. And I think that that type of attitude, I think it's probably becoming more prevalent in this generation of young players, to be honest. And, and I think that can only be a good good sign for, for our game going forward. Well, I think that's a perfectly fitting, upbeat note to leave this podcast on. Uh, as you can probably hear from our voices, we've, we have been uh, delighted to be talking about uh, four entertaining cup ties, which... Uh, Sometimes, I'll be honest, when we have to do the recap of the weekend's games, not always uh, that much fun to go through, even when sometimes when it's just five minutes off some teams, it can be pretty awful. But that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to skip over to the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast to discuss, amongst other things, actually. The whole thing we're going to talk about is the fact that from next season, it's going to be the Premier Sports League Cup. Uh, which which should be interesting, and I'm sure we've got thoughts on that. Uh, before we go, that's basically I don't know why I said before we go because we are about to go. Uh, if you want to say goodbye, Craig Anderson, <laughs> cheerio. <laughs> you want to say goodbye, this Craig Fowler. <laughs> goodbye. And I'm Duncan Mackay, and I really shouldn't be trusted to do outros. Bye bye. <laughs> well, I'm fucking still shitting them after all these years. <laughs> 